Hello again, it's Pete here, and welcome to the latest edition of EdTech Innovators. How human are you? You don't have to answer, but that's really one of the topics that we're going to be dealing with today with Lisa Avery, and we'll be locating that within the world of technology, of course. Enjoy it. Um, well, the central piece really to my work, it's centered around positive psychology. And that for people who aren't quite sure is the science of optimal human functioning. So it's very much about how can we become the best version of ourselves. And really the core of this, it's a model called PERMA, which is positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning and accomplishment. And the idea is that if you have a little of each, you're going to have a pretty happy and meaningful life. Mm, okay, so self-improvement. So uh, just to, I, I always ask um, difficult questions, uh, not, not lots yes. of difficult questions, but um, just to unpack <laughs> what you're saying, really. So uh, do people say things like, um, well, does that, does that mean I'm not good enough then? I mean, how do you emphasize that the people? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's this thing, I guess, that human beings have this innate desire innate need to grow. I mean, humanistic psychologists in the 1960s, they were already onto this. It's the whole quote from Abraham Maslow, what a man can be, he must be. That's the need for self-actualization. Yet at the very same time, I think there is a danger of chronic dissatisfaction with one's life. So I think for me at the heart of my work, it's really helping people reconcile that desire to feel great about who they are in the present yet strive to create an even better future and to grow in every possible way. Mm. So give us some examples of uh, people who you, you work with then, who you help to turn around, like some of the best examples of, um, I don't want to use the word transformational too loosely, but when you feel like <laughs> you've, you've really turned somebody's life around in terms of how they think about themselves. I mean, you know, self-confidence really lies at the heart of the work I do. So I work, whether I'm working with individuals, with teams, with organizations, I've been really lucky to do some associate work too within government. So whether you're dealing with departments or individuals or people of any age, really, it's that fundamental question. Well, actually, there are four questions that we try to answer. And that is, who am I at my best? So what are my strengths? What are my talents? What are my passions? What are my gifts that I bring to this world? Where am I going is the second question. So what does my destination look like? What is my vision, my compelling future vision? And how am I going to break it down into tangible goals? So we've, who am I at my best? Where am I going? Thirdly, how am I going to get there? What are the emotional, psychological and practical resources that I'm going to need to get there? And what are some quick wins along the way? So how am I going to give myself that instant boost when I need to? So I think if a person is able to answer these four questions, a person, a team, a group, a company of any kind, they're well on their way to being in a really great place. So in terms of specific examples, I would work, as I say, with schools, with colleges, um, universities, and also some companies. Um, and I, I, it's a bit difficult to give names, but yeah, please don't. <laughs> I guess what I'd like to say is, is that it's always such a pleasure to witness that transformation, because I guess what's really important for me, it's not going into a place and saying, guys, this is what you've got to do. 
because nobody has that answer. But what instead we do is we go into a place and we say, guys, this is what the research says. This is what the science says around this. How does it relate to you? And you might be aware, Pete, that if you want people to feel optimal motivation, they've got to feel very, very autonomous in their choices. Mm. I don't know about you, but I hate being told what to do, right? Oh, yeah, always, yeah. <laughs> it's that natural rebellious spirit. So mm. the first thing is, you know, we try to give people that autonomy to make their own decisions. The second thing is people need to feel really connected to each other. Connection, human connection, it's a basic fundamental need. You know, so we get people to feel free in their choices. We get people to feel really connected to the others in their team, to the organization. And we want them to feel very competent in what we're dealing with in the material too. So the idea is to, it's to really help people get in touch with these three things. And from that point, we get to witness some incredible discussions. Because I guess that's the other thing. It's really holding this space for people where they can have the kind of discussions and explorations that they've maybe never had before. Mm, this is a lot to unpack here, Lisa. This is fantastic. This, 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 is like, this is like Elton John's suitcase or something. It's so much to unpack. So let's, uh, let's do a piece by piece, if, if that's okay. So first yeah, of all, because this is um, you know, an EdTech podcast, uh, obviously yes. we're, we're talking about education and positivity too. Right. But um, you mentioned the, this idea of um, being in control of your why, you know, why you do things. And yeah. um, I'm particularly interested in what, you know, why people use technology. You know, people very often yeah. use technology and don't know why, or they think that um, mm-hmm. you know, technology will be an answer to, to, to things. What's your view on that? What's your, your view on the, the, people, the way that people use talk, technology in a way that could, uh, um, I suppose, cause them to lose control of their why or to lose sight of their why? I would actually, if I could, try to turn this question around a bit and actually say, what will technology allow for us? How will it help us really leverage our why like never before? Because I guess, you know, technology is just like anything. We can make great use out of it or we can waste, you know, while away time on, in a fairly unproductive way. So I guess I would say that if we learn how to leverage technology properly, we're going to free ourselves up of some of the kind of tasks which humans are beyond, you know? Mm. So much of AI, it's freeing human beings up so that they can exploit their very human potential. There's something which I really love from positive psychology, which is called the VIA, the Values in Action, Classification of Human Strengths. And very simply, it's a questionnaire, it's a survey with 240 questions which sounds like quite a lot, but by the end of it, you get a breakdown of your 24 character strands. And these kind of strands are strands like curiosity, creativity, judgment, humor, the kind of strands that no single piece of AI or technology could ever embody. And these are the kind of strands that I think we need to powerfully leverage in the face of ever increasing usage of technology and AI so that we really begin to do best what we can do best and that is to be very powerfully human so i would see technology as a way to free people up from the mundane kind of tasks that humans aren't best suited to do so instead humans can focus on doing and shining by being fully human you know yeah and i I don't wish to sound conspiratorial but we've seen the damage that can be done very recently when an algorithm tries to work out people's exam results (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, mm. it's scary stuff. But but I think, again, you know, we've got to be very strict and disciplined with how we make use of technology. And I think if we are able to, you know, we, we have access to the rest of the world. You know, we're able, our why is something we're able to project powerfully out to the world. We can create communities. We can find like-minded people. And again, that very basic need for human connection is something that we can so powerfully, powerfully leverage through technology. And that is majorly exciting, I think. Mm, it is. So um, just unpacking what you were saying before um, a little further, you were talking about visualizing um, you know, your, your goal, if you like, your goals yes. and, and your why. Um, how does that work? Do you, I mean, do, you get, do you get people to do things like draw a picture or talk it through or mm. write it down or what? I'm really glad you asked because actually this is one of my favorite exercises from positive psychology. And so this is sort of backed by research and science and the likes. There's this wonderful exercise called your best possible future self. And this is a great way to begin to create your vision. And what you do for three consecutive nights, you would take a piece of paper and you would begin to write very importantly in the present tense because the subconscious process is best in the present tense. In the present tense, you begin to write about your future. You can project into the future one year, two years, five years, as many years as you feel comfortable with. And the idea is that you are creating a powerfully compelling vision of where you want to be in your life, in every single aspect of your life. You've got to make it as evocative as possible because it's really emotion that motivates human beings more than having some goals and some plan. It's that emotion. So you've got to tap into what you're going to be feeling, what, what your vision, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like, what it sounds like. You've got to make it as evocative as possible because it's that emotion which is going to drive you through to complete that vision. So you basically try to create an idea with words of what your vision looks like for three consecutive nights, 20 minutes each night, nothing more, writing about your life like you're already there, like it's already happening. And I think the really powerful thing about this, Pete, it's that human beings are sense-making creatures. You know, it's kind of like this idea that we only dream about things that are unresolved in our life because that's our subconscious trying to put together the pieces to make sense of things. So by beginning to create a bit of a narrative about who we want to become, little by little, our subconscious will start thinking about ways that we can actually get there. So by creating this powerful vision, it's a great way to prime your subconscious to start looking for possible routes to get to this place we really want to be. Mm, and narratives are how we understand things, of course, aren't they? Of course, absolutely. Yeah, so it's, it's time for another difficult question now. I must make a, a jingle for this at some point, Lisa. To say that. <laughs> difficult question time. There was a rumble of thunder in the background or something. So, so difficult, difficult question number two, I think it's number two, um, is um, so arguably just visualising um, where people want to be. Isn't that the easy part? Isn't the hard part where people start to lose sight of their vision? Absolutely. But I think it's really important to keep that vision in mind, because when you've got something in mind, it kind of becomes incorporated in your sense of self, in your identity. And when you take that on board, once again, on a daily basis, weekly basis, you're going to be looking for external clues. So clues in your environment, 
people who might help you get to that place, for example, things that you need to do to get there. I absolutely agree that, you know, the vision is the easy part, but actually most people don't really even dare to create this vision. Mm. Well, many people, first of all, don't really know who they are and what they really want, which is why I insist these questions, who am I, where am I going, etc., are absolutely essential. Because the thing is, Pete, if you're going to get anywhere in this life, you're going to have to be intrinsically motivated. Mm. That motivation is going to have to come from inside of you, not for, from any you know, praise or any prize that you're going to receive at the end, if not because this is an essential part of who you are. Mm. So for that reason, would really urge the people listening to this podcast to take a peek at those 24 character strands that they have and to do, to do that survey to find out. Because when you know what your strengths are, not only do you know what you're good at, but you know what's important to you. You know your strengths can help you see what your values are. And when you know what your strengths are, you know what your values are, your sense of why, your, your purpose really begins to form. And when your purpose is kind of clear, then you can begin to create this vision and you've got that motivation to get there. Wow, I've just shown you the video, Lisa, because my, seriously, my body language is starting to change now. <laughs> seriously, you're just make, making me a bit more primed. And at one point when you were talking, uh, I was, uh, I'm serious about this. I was actually sort of clenching my fist a little bit. Not, not like 80s PowerPoint, in, you know, 80s rock video or something like that. It wasn't like that. But uh, <laughs> I was certainly becoming inspired. So, so thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. That's massively kind. Sorry, because I do monologues. I get very excited about these subjects, but only because I see the power that they have to, to change people's lives. Mm. You know, Pete, we also do quite a lot of work with kids who are out of the system, excluded from the school system. So in alternative provision and the likes. And, and I love to work with people who are disempowered because by helping a person get a real strong sense of who they are, I think you can transform a life, you know? Yeah, that, that's, I mean, that sounds extremely complex uh, because, um, you know, for ev even kids who aren't disempowered or disenfranchised yes. um, <laughs> find it difficult to, to articulate who, and visualize who they are. It's, it, it can be, yeah, I mean, it sounds complex, but there's a way to go about, and to, it, it, again, the subjects can be as complex or as simple as we choose to make them. Mm. So you know, I would ask very, very simple, fundamental kind of coaching questions. And, you know, you've got to meet people where they're at. So obviously, you know, if you're engaging with someone who's 11, it's going to be very different to someone who's 45, you know, midlife crisis territory. You meet people where they're at at any given moment. And I guess for me as well, the major, major revelation I had from positive psychology was the fact that it's okay not to feel okay. Mm. And I think for me, there's been a major, major liberation in being able to say, actually, I'm feeling like crap. And I don't feel any shame on top of that for saying that, you know? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's do it. Um, I hate to do a sort of role play type thing you know, in job interviews, yeah. for example, they're really irritating, aren't they? But, uh, but, let's, <laughs> let's, but let's imagine, say, I'm a 25 year old woman with a, mm. um, with a reasonably stable background. And I have these, um, I'm quite focused on these goals, but these goals are, are sort of quite arbitrary. They're, they're, they're quite, they're, they're, my parents have told me that I should do these things. I, I, should, mm. uh, I should be um, a senior manager in a big company in finance by the age of 30. 
that we've got a mm. five year goal. But deep down, you'll probably gain, you probably gauge that, you know, my, heart, my heart's not in it. And, I, I, you know, you might want to empower me with new goals. Um, so what's, what sort of things, what sort of ways would you go about that? Absolutely. I mean, the fact you use the word should in itself, the moment I hear the word should or have to, that's where we stop right now. I mean, whose voice is it that we're hearing in our heads? As you say, it can be parents, it can be school, it can be society, it can be any kind of conditioning. But first of all, I begin to hear the person's story this far. You know, essentially what I get people to do, so I have this 30-day process 30 days to your fabulous future self if that doesn't sound too cheesy (laughs) thank you thanks what we do within those 30 days we do answer these four questions who am i where am i going how am i going to get there and what are the quick wins along the way so in order to begin to unpack who you are First of all, I want to get a sense of your identity. I want to get a sense of what makes you you. So we'd look at different memories, different values, different experiences that has made the person who they are up to this point. Because the idea is if we want to make any significant change in our lives, we've got to know who we are at this point. When we know who we are at this point, we've got to begin to construct this compelling future vision. Because when we know who we are, we know what our vision is, the question then becomes simply, how do we bridge the gap between the two? Now, to bridge the gap between the two, this is where I see these four questions as being really important. So we do a lot of work around when you're being your authentic self, versus your adaptive self you know we we all have both of these versions of ourselves we do a lot of work around strengths around values talents passions identity you know there are questionnaires that i can attach here for your listeners there are surveys there's a number of introspective exercises all of which one by one start to give you a clearer and clearer picture of who the real you actually is Mm. and tell you that when you get that sense of authenticity that is a major empowerment for most people yeah it, it is um, I've, I've got i've got to say that I'm, I'm one of these very lucky people who feels as though they can be themselves in, in what they do and it, it, it's immensely satisfying it yes. really is um, absolutely it's your confidence isn't it you know when you're being true to yourself it is kind of like when you don't know what to do in life, you drop on your values. So every decision you make, you think about, is this going to take me closer to who I want to be or further away from who I want to be? And when you know your values, those kind of decisions become so much easier because you know what's important to you, you know. Mm. Yeah, we don't want to be Alan Partridge's PA, Lynn, do we? I don't know. fixed in a permanent state of pain. So if um, this hypothetical person who I mentioned before, so they, they've got their goals, they've visualized their goals, but what sort of problems might they have along the way? So, you know, people yeah. and situations that might get in the way of them um, reaching those goals. Absolutely. I mean, this is where the growth mindset is essential because no matter how great we are at whatever we're trying to do, there are always going to come obstacles. There are obstacles will always come along the way. Um, There'll be people who don't believe in who we are and what we do. You know, self-doubt can be immense, can't it? The imposter syndrome can be immense. And Jesus, you know, I still feel it myself at some of these big events sometimes. I'm like, 
what am I doing here? When I see, you know, a sea row after row of people, it can be really, really scary. But I think, you know, and I love Brené Brown's work. Are you familiar with Brené Brown's work, Pete? I'm not shamefully, sorry. <laughs> okay, no, no, not at all. Somebody definitely to check out because mm. she a lot of work around being courageously vulnerable. So showing up just how you are, you see, the danger with people is that they don't really show who they are because they're afraid of being judged. Yet, considering that the basic human need is that of connection, if we're really going to connect with other human beings in a meaningful way, we have got to bring our full selves to the table. So I think when you're going after your goals, you know, if you're passionate about who you, about what you want to do in this world, there's going to come a point when with that passion, you've also really just got to show you and who you are because you're the person delivering, I guess, this product, this service you're bringing to life, whatever it is. So, you know, you are very much a part of that and your identity, your story, you know, all of these things form a very strong and very real part of that. So by learning to be vulnerable, and it's very much like a muscle, you know, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And I think so much of being able to do that, it's accepting human emotion and that, you know, self-doubt, it's very normal, very natural. Um, and we all have good days. We all have bad days. I, I don't know whether you're familiar, Pete, but it's this idea that all human emotions exist for a reason. Absolutely. I, my layman's tip, so uh, I don't know what you think about this, Lisa, but my layman's tip is when I have imposter syndrome, which is frequently, obviously, because I'm human, mm -hmm. um, just naming it is so powerful. Yes. So if I just, oh yeah, it's just imposter syndrome. All right, go yeah. on with it. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm really glad you say that because actually there's a brilliant psychologist called Susan David and she does a lot of work around something called emotional agility. And it's exactly what you've just said. The idea is if you want to free yourself of a negative emotion, as would be self-doubt, you know, the anxiety, the worry that comes with that, if you're able to articulate it as clearly as possible, just simply by articulating it, you will indeed free yourself from that. Because it's that idea that whatever we repress is going to grow stronger over time, you know? So we do need to free ourselves of these things through words. And that's really powerful. And by doing that, I think we can inspire other people to do that too, to have the same level of confidence to do just that. And that is actually the courageous vulnerability that Brené Brown is speaking about. And by all being open and by all being vulnerable, I think we can create an atmosphere, you know, in companies, in teams of psychological safety. We're really destigmatizing what it means to make a mistake. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And I could I could relate that to technology, of course, um, not just because of the nature of the podcast, but because um, this has really help, helped me become pretty good at, at tech, at, at technology. But through um being really clear that i'm not actually very good at it at all and so <laughs> I, don't, I don't sort of pretend to be really really good at technology and the reason yeah. and what well how that helps is when i encounter issues with technology which is like every day i mean it really is every day especially mm -hmm. since lockdown um i don't beat myself up about it i just i just go all right that's imposter syndrome you're telling yourself that you can't do it let's do what yeah. we can you know, step by step and it, it really works because I'm not sort of beating myself up about not being good. And I'm, um, yeah. I'm just sort of working through the issues and it's helping my problem solving skills. 
I love that. I love that. And again, you know, you're, you're not feeling negative emotions around this. And there's something that I'd love to share with you and your listeners about this subject. The idea is that positive emotions and negative emotions do both do something very different to the brain and the body. So the fact that you're not experiencing negative emotions, but when you're feeling the imposter syndrome, because you're saying, oh, come on, Pete, you know, I've got this, I've got plenty of other skills that can more than compensate for what I can't do technologically. So because you're being pretty positive about this the idea is that when we experience positive emotions it literally opens the mind up to experience more it expands our peripheral vision so there's this really cool experiment in which psychologists got two groups of people one group to watch comedy the other group to watch a very sad documentary mm. afterwards both groups had to look at a photograph now the people who watched comedy literally saw the entire photograph the entire picture so their peripheral vision was pretty much broadened you know ah. yeah it's pretty cool isn't it whereas the people who watched the sad documentary had tunnel vision they literally honed in on the center of the picture and i mean literally and metaphorically this is what this is what the two different kind of emotions do to us positive emotions open us up to new people, new experiences, you know, we're much more open and responsive, which in turn can generate more positive emotions. Whereas yeah. negative emotions have evolved so that we see what is just in front of us because it's the threat. So the, the negative emotions are signaling there could be some danger in our environment. We need to respond to it immediately. And that's why our vision must become tunnel vision. No? Well, could we have uh, a sort of gentleman's agreement here, like a sort of disclaimer um, that we're both actually human? So, for example, <laughs> the wise, what I said, yeah, I mean, I just developed something that you said before that um, that I, you know, I don't develop negative emotions. Well, I do, of course, I do. I mean, everything that I, I talked about is um, is the result of a sort of internal sumo wrestling. You know, uh, <laughs> so, for example, imposter syndrome. There, there is, this, yeah. you know voice metaphorical voice that says you can't do that of course you can't you idiot and then, yeah. and then you have to work <laughs> through that and fight with yourself and it's, it takes time doesn't it you do absolutely and you know what the other massive i'm glad you've said that because the other major revelation for me and this was only a few years ago and it kind of begs the question why does nobody teach you this at a much younger age so the other major revelation i had was hang on a minute not everything i think is true Mm, yes beings do you know what i mean <laughs> That's not, well it's an academic and um, everything that, that you know nothing and everything that you think is potentially very wrong yeah that, 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 <laughs> i'm completely okay with that yeah i love that humility there um, i'm sure much of what you think is right too <laughs> <laughs> That's very but good yeah <laughs> no but but it's that whole thing that once you realize that not every thought you have is true. You're immensely empowered because you can stop believing all of this negative self-talk. And a great way to do this is, for example, if I'm thinking, um, I don't really know a lot about positive psychology, so why am I even on this call? A great way for me to deal with that thought would be to say, okay, Lisa, right now you are having the thought that and or I am having the thought that, and by simply getting that sort of split second of separation between what you're thinking and what really is at this moment in time, that can just jolt people out of that self-doubt, you know, out of those voices in the head, I guess. Mm. And that makes everything a lot more satisfying, don't you think, that you've actually yes. successfully worked through this process and come up 
Victoria, victorious. <laughs> Absolutely. Because the other thing, of course, that a lot of people don't really think about is the fact that every time you think something, it's going to make you feel a certain way. It's going to make you feel certain emotions. Hmm. And because of those emotions, the way you behave or the way you respond are going to be very, very different. So it's like this continual cycle between your thoughts, your emotions and your behaviors. So if you're able to intercept, if you're able to kind of cut in there at any point, that too is really powerful. And that's why mindfulness is great. You know, in its very simplest form, mindfulness is just being totally mindful or totally aware of the present moment. And that's something that most people don't do because most people live in the future, don't they? Yeah, they, they do. And, and I, I also think that, that when people say to you, you're a confident person, which, which of course, you know, from the outside, you, you are, Lisa. Um, th that's a very sort of simplistic and reductionist statement, isn't it? Because it, it really is. And thank you very much. And I'm actually smiling on the inside and out because I'm so wrapped with self-doubt. It's untrue. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? What a person can perceive, like what you can give off and how you really are. Of course, like, you know, I, I am confident in some situations at some times, but obviously there are moments when I feel incredibly insecure too, I think, like most human beings. Um, but, but, but again, I guess for me, being confident, it's all about getting to the point where you really know yourself quite well. And that requires self-awareness. And self-awareness means, you know, that you ask yourself some pretty difficult questions at times. But I think that can make for a much more worthwhile life, quite frankly. Yeah, and it's hard work, of course, you know, asking yourself these questions and working through these processes of, of, of being human. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, what's the alternative? I guess you can spend the rest of your life, you know, sort of like watching TV, sort of being on social media mindlessly. You can kind of distract yourself ever after, can't you? But there almost always comes a point sooner or later in a person's life when they want to think about who they are and why they're here. Because, you know, we've all got a limited amount of time and surely we want to make the best possible use of that time. Mm. Well, I mean, this is maybe the most difficult question of all. Uh, how can, because it's quite deep in a way, but, um, <laughs> but you're okay with that, obviously. But I'm all right with that. <laughs> of course you are. Um, but how, how do you feel that technology and this enhanced sense of humanity can coexist when people are spending an increasing amount of time on, mm. uh, on their phones? Again, I think this is very much about the use you choose to make of your technology. I think, one, as I said earlier, if you have this very strong sense of purpose, if you have this mission, you can leverage that, that purpose and leverage that mission like never before. But it requires the rigor and the discipline to use technology for this purpose. Um, yeah, I, I, how else? I mean... I just don't see human beings and technology as incompatible or competing in any way. Both have a very different skill set and a very different set of virtues, don't they? So I just think, as I said earlier, technology can exponentially leverage that which makes us most human. Um, so, you know, if what, for example, one of my top character strengths is kindness, I guess, you know, if I want to do something kind and charitable, there are so many ways on technology that I can reach out to other human beings and try to make an impact, I guess. Yeah, I suppose many years ago, people would have said, how can people still be human and use the spinning Jenny? And so, yeah. it's, not, it's, not, it's not a new conversation, really, is it, I suppose? 
<laughs> no, no, but it's a really interesting question moving forward, you know, and we're doing some work with a guy in AI and he's working with a lot of human resource departments and often people in, in companies are kind of afraid of AI and technology and whether it's going to replace them. But actually he makes a great point that quite simply AI is going to free them of all the mundanity, you know, of all the kind of tasks from last century that human beings should no longer be busy in themselves with. And this is going to mean that, you know, um, qualities like collaboration, creativity, curiosity, you know, these things which are the pinnacle of human humanness. I don't think that makes much sense. But I guess it's what, <laughs> what makes us the most human is that which is going to give us the very, very powerful edge moving forward. And that's what we should be looking to enhance. And in order to enhance just that, we've got to get a sense of what makes us best as human beings. Once again, I'd love for your listeners to check out the VIA Values in Action and Survey Strength, sorry, Strength Survey. Mm. That's going to be really, really powerful. You know, until you know something exists, you don't really notice it. Once you begin to notice it, you can look for ways to improve, to enhance, and to really leverage. But it all starts with that awareness of actually what makes me shine. Mm. Wonderful. I'd like to think that uh, I do be I genuinely believe what you said about your, your colleague in AI. I do genuinely believe that it will free us up um, to yes. become more human as opposed to free us up to spend more time answering our emails. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which is the nightmare scenario, of course. Absolutely. And it's that satisfaction that we're going to get through being human. You know, how satisfying is ticking off a list of, you know, send an email and the, the mundane kind of tasks as opposed to, you know, how much more rewarding is it to have a deep and meaningful interaction with another human being? It's a whole other level of connection and engagement, you know. And as I said at the start of this, um, engagement, feeling really deeply involved in that which you're doing is essential for human wellness and for human happiness and meaning. So it's that moment, you know, when you're lost in time, you lose all sense of time, all sense of self, because the task at hand is neither too easy nor too difficult. And so few of those moments, I think, occur when sending emails and doing these kind of tick off list tasks. Wow. Well, this has been genuinely inspirational talking to you, Lisa. Aww. I've really, really enjoyed it. And you, you have changed my body language. And on, <laughs> so not permanently, of course, but, um, but <laughs> temporarily. But thank you so much. And I think so many people can, can take something um, hugely influential for, uh, from, and maybe even transformational from, from this. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. That's massively kind. Thank you. And I'm sorry for any monologues there. And I think there were quite a few of those. Well, so that, that's what it's all about isn't it that's what it's, <laughs> kind of what a podcast is and why they're popular <laughs> well thanks so much for your patience with that my pleasure and we will talk again soon perfect cheers thank lisa repeat thank you well that was lisa avery I literally feel more positive now. I'm not missing. So thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you again soon. You take care of yourself now. See you later.